Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I never know when the word irony is appropriate, so I try to never use it. Thank you very much, Alanis Morissette. Is that irony when the the old quarterback of the other team who has been replaced because he threw too many interceptions, now he's sitting on the other sideline and the new quarterback comes in and does the same thing? Would that classify as that? I think it's closer to irony than a black fly in your Chardonnay. It's a traffic jam when you're already late. We're right on time on this Wednesday in large part because Chris Sims has about five minutes to drive to get to the NBC Sports Group studio in Stanford, Connecticut. And I have about 30 seconds to walk from my home office up to my home studio. So never late, although sometimes we cut it a little close. You know, the rule is the closer you are to where you need to be, the greater the likelihood you're not going to be there on time, Chris. Yeah, I, I do. I get that because then you just go, oh, well, I got time. I don't need to run out of the house yet. I'll make it. I'll make it. I'll make it. Oh, crap. It's really late. I might have to run some red lights and get there in time. I mean, I, I live about 15 minutes away, and I've had a few moments like that over our three years working together where I go, oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And then I'm about two miles away from work, and I look at the clock and go, holy crap, we're on air in like 12 minutes and I'm not at the office yet and uh, that'll make the blood pressure rise a little bit. And uh, yeah, maybe I have run a red light or two in my day on the way to work. <laughs> well, I, that, that is quite an admission and you will be hearing from the appropriate authorities because anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law or thank, elsewhere. Thank I've you, Matt never Lock. had to do that. I've never, Matt Lock, I've never <laughs> had to do the mad dash up the steps. I mean, there have been times where I've sat down and I was surprised when I looked at my cell phone device because who needs watches anymore? Because we all carry these phones that tell us instantly what time it is as soon as you touch any button on it. And I've sat down and I've looked and it's like 6.57. It's like, yeah, that's probably cutting it a little close. But uh, uh, not late yet, which means I've jinxed it. What? What? Not late yet? Not late yet? Clarify yourself, sir. Never late for the TV show. Never late for the TV show. Okay. Okay. I was late. I missed one segment of the radio broadcast 
because I don't know what happened. We were in Indianapolis, and my alarm didn't go off, or it did go off, or I turned it off. I don't know. So I got a phone call at 15 till 6, which didn't give me a whole lot of time to get my butt over to wherever it was that we were and probably won't be back in February, but that's a different story altogether because of the ongoing struggles with the pandemic. But we may have something about that coming up later in the program because in season Wednesday is the day that we air grievances. That's still to come. We got a fun show today. Who doesn't belong and why? We got a draft coming up. We got some good stuff. And let's get to some bad stuff as it relates to injuries. And we know injuries are inevitable. Injuries happen. And this is the one that we noticed live while we were spinning 50 different plates on the air on Sunday as the Saints-Buccaneers game was ending and NBC's football night in America was unfolding. Michael Thomas got rolled up on by teammate Alvin Kamara. And the initial indication I got was not encouraging. He was walking around like, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, and wouldn't let the trainers look at it. And then everything got very quiet. And anytime that happens, that tells you there's a problem. Right. And then we hear high ankle sprain, but he's going to try to play through it. And, Chris, we talked about this earlier in the week. High ankle sprain, play through it. That's not the kind of thing you can play through. And now the report, surprisingly not, that Michael Thomas is expected to miss several weeks with this high ankle sprain. Because, of course, he will. Because, of course, that's what happens when you have a high ankle sprain. Yeah, uh, that's right. And, you know, this is this is the other factor that plays into this. It's the type of injury, one, that – you know, after you do it, you think, okay, you know, man, it hurts, but I I think I'll be okay in a few days. And you wake up the next morning and it's 10 times worse. So that's the first thing you you might think the night of the injury, like I'll be okay in a week. I think I might be able to do this, but then it really sets in. The other thing that sets in too, and where players might walk around in the locker room after the game and all of that, we've had this conversation, Toradol, Toradol is still misleading up to like 24 hours after the game because it's a numbing drug. It's a numbing agent. So guys get hurt, and this is why we see more serious injuries than not sometimes because they don't realize how badly they are hurt until the next day, until the Toradol wears off. So with all that, I bet his ankle is very sore, and he plays a position that, you know, the ankle's kind of important to be able to stick your foot in the ground, cut off at it, you know, at 100 hundred percent speed or whatever that may be jam it in the ground change directions do that Michael Michael Thomas is a big guy and he is very good at sticking his foot in the ground and being a good route runner and I would think that's even more of a handicap for him because that's his game and it's going to be really hard to explode off that and you know take that uh, pounding from the body and, and his ability to drive force in the ground Of the limited NFL injuries to which I can relate because I've suffered them, a sprained ankle is one. But it was a low ankle sprain, and it hurt like hell for a couple of days, and then it was fine. And it's just fine. Like, the swelling goes down. It's like, hey, it doesn't hurt anymore. Like, I'm preparing myself that this is going to be a source of pain and discomfort and limitation for weeks, but it was a low ankle sprain. Yeah, it's different. High ankle sprain, a different one altogether. And we always hear four to six weeks, and – We'll see how long Michael Thomas is out. But it hurts the Saints. This is a guy who had 149 receptions last year. A guy who aspired to have even more this year. He only had two week one. Now he's going to miss several weeks. He has to, along with everything else, come to terms with the fact that he's not getting anywhere close to 149 this year. Yeah, right. And that's and I feel bad for him. Yeah. He's an intense individual. He is a focused and driven player, and he's a great player. And now, after the first game of the season, 
You've got to process all of this stuff, anger, denial, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. That's why it took a few days, I think, for the report to come out that he's going to miss several weeks. I think he doesn't want to accept the fact. And my guess is he's going to do everything in his power to get on the field. They, you know, This is a perfect year to have the three-week injured reserve option aimed at maximum roster flexibility, Chris, because the best way to protect Michael Thomas from himself, yeah. self-protect him from himself, is to put him on injured reserve. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, anything – I've never met Michael Thomas. You can see the intensity when he plays football. You could see he loves the sport. You could see that he backs down from no one. And then I think we both heard from people in New Orleans that – he is that guy. He he works hard as hell. Doesn't matter who's in front of him. I mean, remember Sean Payton making the statements last year about Michael Thomas beating him up in drills when he was coming off the line of scrimmage and all of that stuff. So very intense and probably the most important piece of the New Orleans Saints offense. I mean, there's just no other way to sugarcoat it. He's won the most important piece because so much of the pass game is around him and what he can do. And then it's a like a double whammy to where he's so important to the scheme and Sean Payton and his ability, but he's also extremely important to Drew Brees. I mean, he's Drew Brees' crutch, but so much of what Sean Payton creates with Michael Thomas is the type of throws that Drew Brees is good at and capitalizing at. So now, okay, who's going to be that guy? No one's going to be as talented. And... It'll be easier to take away those type of throws, which could also be a ripple effect to go, oh, no, now Breeze might have to make throws that, you know, we question. And it's fair to question, I think, after week one. His arm didn't exactly look like top-notch to me. And that's where I worry about the Saints there. And Sean Payton's going to have to find a kind of a new formula to make this offense go. There was an intensity in Michael Thomas before their playoff win over the Eagles in January of 2019 that was stunning to me. And, 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 and was inspiring at the same time. He was so fired up for that game, and that's what he brings to the table. And as you're trying to process this, if you're Michael Thomas, I think what you have to do is say, okay, fine. Look, the ultimate goal is still on the table, and that's to finally get back to the Super Bowl. For him, it's get there for the first time. For Sean Payton and Drew Brees, it's get back. I think they're the only ones. Everyone else, it's a first-time experience, but they've been – pounding on the door every year, 2017, 2018, 2019, all years Michael Thomas was with the New Orleans Saints. And I think it's a refocus now. Forget about individual accolades. Forget about regular season record. Forget about regular season accomplishment. Get healthy. Get ready to come back and help the team in the postseason. And you may have to help the team get to the postseason based on what happens without him. I'm looking at the depth chart, and we know the depth chart isn't Set in stone, in part because teams go out of their way to tell us it's not set in stone, which makes me wonder why the hell they even publish depth charts. That's not going to be one of my grievances that gets aired later. It's just a standing irritation that I have. But Marquez Callaway, undrafted rookie out of Tennessee, is listed as the backup to Michael Thomas. Now, I don't know whether that means he gets more reps. Traquan Smith is behind Emmanuel Sanders. Deontay Harris is listed on the depth chart as well. This team's got five receivers right. on the depth chart. Thin there. So they're going to – they need somebody yeah. if Michael Thomas isn't able to play. they got to do something. Bump somebody off of the practice squad, sign a free agent. Mohamed Sanu not available. He signed with the 49ers yesterday as expected. Trade for somebody. We'll be talking about that coming up soon. But he's got to do something, Sean Payton does, along with GM Mickey Loomis, to deal with Michael Thomas's absence if he is gone for a few weeks. Because I don't know that bumping up Marquez Callaway, Traquan Smith, or Deontay Harris 
to the number one receiver spot is going to be the answer. No, it's not. And that's why, you know, that's twofold of why he's so important to the offense, too. You're seeing there. So all the things we mentioned, plus they have nothing. They're a little weak in the wide receiver department. Hey, Emmanuel Sanders is a good player, but he's not a superstar. He's not talented the way he was four or five years ago to attract attention that way. And, hey, Marquez Callaway, he might get a few more reps, Mike. But just to answer that question, like, I, I would be shocked if I saw him in the Michael Thomas role. That role is just – it takes a special football player with great experience, great football knowledge, and knowing how to read defenses. Playing that little slot position in the Sean Payton West Coast offense, I would think now you're going to have a little bit more of a – you know, by committee approach to take over for the Michael Thomas stuff where, yes, uh, uh, an Emmanuel Sanders gets involved in the conversation a little bit because he's been around the block a few times. He'll understand like, oh, when the defense does this, Drew expects me to do that and all of those type of intricacies that are in the offense that I don't know if I would trust with a young guy. And you might see a Traquan Smith and things like that uh, dabble in there, but they're going to have to be creative. He's going to have to extend the Jared Cook part of his playbook and probably the Alvin Kamara, maybe motion out of the backfield, use him in the passing game more. I would expect those to be kind of the next moves uh, for Sean Payton. Yeah, that was going to be my next point, the idea that Sean Payton will take the various chess pieces he has yeah. and move them around in his offense because he values flexibility. Jared Cook can go out to the slot. Alvin Kamara can move around. Remember, they have Ty Montgomery, who was a receiver who became right. a running back That's right. for the Green Bay Packers once upon a time. So, oh, yeah, and they also have Taysom Hill. So, you know, they, they've got guys who can pick up the slack in that offense. But Michael Thomas, the straw that stirs the drink, to That's borrow right. a phrase from Stephen Jones as it related to Ezekiel Elliott last year before his holdout, now the injury to Michael Thomas, it's going to be an issue for the Saints. But of all the coaching staffs out there, Sean Payton's is the one that probably can figure out how to deal with it the best and, and find another way to make that offense hum, even if Michael Thomas is unavailable for several weeks. Uh, and I, I I think it would be I think it would be rash to trade for somebody. And if they would trade for somebody, it tells you it's more than just a couple of weeks. See, that's why they don't want to tell us anything about injuries, folks. I know we get irritated. You got a fantasy lineup you got to worry about. You got a team that you're rooting for. You want to know are the players going to play? You have gambling interests that you may want to pursue. Do I take the points? Do I give the points? Do I take the Saints? Do I go over? Do I go under? And you want to know if guys are going to play. They don't want us to know because if all of a sudden the Saints are faced with a more extensive absence by Michael Thomas to the point where they're thinking about trading for somebody, they don't want the team they'd be doing the deal with to think they're desperate. No, that's exactly right. They want to be able to say, yeah, we really don't need And Michael Thomas is going to be back in a couple weeks. But, right. you know, if this guy's disgruntled, maybe we'll do it. That's a far different approach to the bargaining table than, oh, man, we got to get this guy. We got to get this guy. Can we have this guy? Can we get this guy? What do we need to do? What do we need to do? Tell us, tell us, tell us. So that's why they don't want to tell us anything about injuries. No, it's one of the many reasons why they right. don't want to tell us. You're right. And, and I don't think, you know, I wouldn't expect the Saints in this situation to quite dabble in the trade market yet probably go out see a game or two of what we got and see where Michael Thomas is after two weeks if he's going to be back in the third week all right yeah four weeks there's no no need to panic but if you go through two or three games and you go whoa man our offense we we stink we're struggling and Michael Thomas man he might be back you know after four weeks but it's not looking good he's not going to be 100 percent then they might have to make moves 
I don't know. Des Bryant is out there on the street. They did work him out at one time. Uh, he was I, on the team. He was on the so, team. Yeah, right. A couple of years right. ago. So maybe they revisit that. I got to look at the list of free agent receivers out there that would make sense. But I would think for now they're going to make do with what they got. I know. Go ahead. Say it. I knew you. There's a guy available in yeah. a few weeks. Yeah. There, he's, av- he's available to be signed now. He's just not available to play until after his team has played its eighth game or eight weeks of the regular season pass. They if can he handle signed, him. And that's Antonio Brown. They brought him in for a workout. Right. Not a workout. A visit last year. Because I, And I think Sean Payton, and this is part of that little devilish in a good way, the good trouble, as John Lewis would say. Sean Payton trying to stir things up to get what needs to be done accomplished as it relates to the NFL and some of the rules and some of the regulations, sure. some of the way things happen. Sure. Antonio Brown is kind of backburnered. They're not making a decision. So, hey, let's bring him in for a visit. Let's maybe push this thing forward. Let's maybe get this thing done. Let's force the NFL's hand. I feel like that's what they were doing last year. And if they see something they like in Antonio Brown, and he could probably do a better job of replacing Michael Thomas's production than anyone they have on the roster, yes, I'd agree something with that. to consider if it's more than just a couple of weeks, Chris. Yeah, I mean, he certainly would be able to fill that role in a lot of ways. He's, you know, again, another guy that's been around the block. He'll understand what's being taught, what's being asked of of that position. And of course, you know, he's a he's a talented football player. I don't think he's going to be the guy we remember him to be, but. You know, to your point, yes, I don't know if there's anybody on the roster, even though I haven't seen Antonio Brown play football in a year, I feel pretty safe to say that he's still better than everybody on the the wide receiver the wide receivers on the Saints other than Michael Thomas. Allen Robinson of the Bears may be available unless he isn't, unless he is, unless he isn't. That was the ping pong match yesterday in the media between the receiver who's entering the final year of his contract with the Bears, who hasn't gotten a new contract, and who wants a new contract, and now other things are unfolding now that week one has come and gone to try to make it happen. Yesterday afternoon, NFL media says that Allen Robinson has removed references to the team from his social media, a reflection of his frustration over the state of talks on a new contract. No trade request as of now. That was 2.42 p.m. Eastern. Less than 20 minutes later, the Chicago Tribune reports that Allen Robinson has asked about a possible trade, and then a few hours after that, Shefty says that Robinson's agent says that he and his client haven't requested a trade. However, Robinson is unhappy that Chicago has been unwilling to pay him market value for wide receivers. So, so basically, Robinson's holding the grenade. He's got the pin in one hand. And he's just getting ready to pull it as it relates to asking for a trade. Right. And and uh, and look, maybe it's too early in the season to ask for a trade. The trades usually get done later. We saw last year a Mohamed Sanu for a second round pick, Emmanuel Sanders for a third round pick close to the deadline. But, you know, this is something that we definitely have to monitor because he wants to be paid. The Bears don't want to do it yet. And if they're not going to do it, then trading him becomes an option, Chris. Yeah, I, I mean, it certainly does. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm always in favor for the player using any avenue they need or deem necessary to get, you know, what they feel they deserve. You know, this is a tough one here. You know, first off, Allen Robinson's he's making, he's in the, what, the $14 million a year range, right, at the wide receiver position. The other thing I would sit there and go, I would go, first off, at just base value, I look at that and go, I think that's pretty fair. I mean, He's in the class of the Stefan Diggs, T.Y. Hilton's, Devontae Adams, Jarvis Landry. I would argue that those guys are better than him. So that, that would be my first thing to just go, okay, wait, so what's he really commanding here? Now, there are some other guys that are arguably making a little bit more than him that you could say he's better than. Yeah, there might be Brandon Cooks, who got overpaid 
you could probably make an argument for that. But here would be the other thing, too, if I'm the Bears, where I'd go like, what? Wait, you're asking for a new contract. You got here. You've had 1,000-yard season. And in the last four years, you've played less than half the games on the schedule. He's played 31 out of 64 games. That's really hard to stand on that ground and say, I deserve more money. I'm a key part. You know, first off, there's injury issue there. And then the production hasn't been so overwhelming that I'm like, oh, this is crazy. You got to pay the guy. Go ahead. What? It's weird because he had a thousand yard season last year. Yeah. When the offense was horrible. Right. But he still stood out the year before that when the team was good, he was under. A thousand yards. He missed three games. And you mentioned the number of games he's missed over a four-year period. One of the problems is he tore an ACL week one in 2017. Yeah. And I think that makes him even more sensitive to getting a deal done because he knows what can happen to a season. You're in a contract year. Look what happened to Marlon Mack on Sunday. I think that's a warning shot to anyone out there who's trying to get a contract. The chances of you getting that injury that that will wipe out your market value is there. Yes. And he is under a three-year, $14 million contract 10.9 million in base salary this year and and look he's doing what he has to do to get more he didn't hold out he could still hold in I mean that's the next step here will he play until they do this deal will he go the Jalen Ramsey route now you know Jalen Ramsey I guess, what, was he injured or injured? I mean, it, yeah. no, everybody knew Jalen Ramsey wasn't playing. Well, and that there was, was a blow-up and all that. Between, right, right. You know, top, well, there's top a blow-up now. It's right. a different kind of blow-up right. now. The question, though, is will we see him on the field? And I think that's going to be very telling. Are they going to put him on mothballs while they figure out whether to trade him, or is it just going to be full steam ahead? We have you under contract. We're paying you good money. We expect you to show up and play. And if we trade you, we trade you forcing him to continue to endure the injury risk because I think the injury risk is the reason that this has all been sure uh, brought to a head. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I understand that. I do. And you got to try to protect your interests in your body that way. And you know, when you've been injured early in a year, it scars you and you're always going to be aware of that. Whether you got injured or, or a friend or a teammate, you, you see that and that is in your in your mind. Um, I, I just it's out of nowhere. And here we are week one off a big win. You know, you were losing to the Detroit Lions. I guess I just questioned the timing of it. And, you know, again, the player himself is a really good player, but I don't know if I put him in the status of, okay, he 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 can command more money anytime he wants type of football player. It's a little different to me there. I will say that. As far as, like, an Alvin Kamara or other guys that we have seen, you know, do this during during this lockout or training camp, Man, the guys that have done it are like integral to the team's scheme and success to where the the game the team is not going to be as good unless that player is a part of what they're doing. Not only because the player's good, but because of how the coach uses the player within his scheme as a perfect fit. And that's also, I don't think, necessarily a thing that Allen Robinson can sit here and argue as far as his case on the Bears. You know, I don't know if we've done this before, like Pena and Pena, but it, there is a, a G, not a C, an integral. Inter- you understand that, right? Yeah. Integral. Integral. Yeah, did I say coal there, like intracol? In- in- Intr- integral. Integral. You said integral. In- okay, gotcha. All right. I think it's getting worse instead of better. We better just move on. Yeah, let's move uh, on. I, I think I think Alan Robinson took the leap of faith that something was going to get done, and then it didn't, and then week one comes and goes, and in the aftermath, 
you know, of that the first game and you, you've got COVID-19 concerns, you're traveling, you know, you get back and you're like, hey, wait a minute, this is messed up. I mean, yesterday was his first day off. He has a chance to digest what's going on. And he gets pissed off. Yeah. So I understand the timing, especially when you consider he's had a week one season ending injury in his past and Marlon Mack had a week one season ending injury. And you throw Michael Thomas on top of it, too. It's another reason for guys to be concerned if they are in the last year of a contract. Odell Beckham Jr. is not in the last year of his contract. There are issues there in Cleveland, and yesterday both Odell Beckham Jr. and Baker Mayfield were available to media because they play Thursday night, so the calendar of when guys talk gets adjusted. Here's Odell Beckham Jr. discussing his chemistry or lack thereof with quarterback Baker Mayfield. I think once I get you all, the world, everyone to understand that I care about one thing, and that's winning and producing, um, I think that you'll be able to see some of the other actions and look at it from a different perspective than a perspective of a lot of the names and attachments that have been thrown on me in a way. Yeah, I understand that. And uh, I, look, I, I hope that Odell Beckham Jr. is maturing to the point where he doesn't get upset because he's a focal point of attention because he's craved that attention throughout his career. Um, but uh, the production's just not there. No. And, Chris, I watched that game last night. Yeah. Odell Beckham Jr. dropped a pass right. at a key moment in the game. Right. Third, Third and two. two. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and let, me, let me set it up. It was 10-6 to because this wasn't a blowout. Right. It became a blowout. It was 10-6, to and the Browns were embarking on a drive, and they were starting to make some hay. Odell Beckham Jr. got a horrible, for him, Face mask call. Caught a short little screen pass and grabbed the defender's face mask. Sets him back 15 yards. First and 29. Became fourth and 41. Then they get a punt down to the one-yard line. Hey, we're in business. We stop and we get a short field. Maybe we can take the lead. Well, that's when the Ravens drive all the way down the field, 99 right. yards, and make it 17-6. to six. And then the Browns' offense woke up, and they're moving down the field. And they've got third and two at around the Baltimore 20. And Odo Beckham Jr. does the ran before he had it yeah, thing, right. embracing the inevitable contact before he secures the ball thing, something that no receiver making that kind of money should ever do, drops the pass, they miss the field goal, floodgates open, game over. That was the key moment, and that's on Odo Beckham Jr. Yeah, that is. That I mean, there's there's no denying that. I saw the play happen out, you know, saw it play out in, in real time on Sunday going, man, you know, that that's just that's just gonna make things harder. Because I think, you know, Odell Beckham Jr., first off, and the Baker Mayfield, we've talked about it a lot. The connection's never been good ever since he's gotten there. I mean, it's never really clicked. And then I think it, you know, kind of compounds itself because Odell then doesn't get the ball. And then when he sees the ball coming his way, he wants to do so much with it because he hasn't had the ball. So there, like you said, he, he's got the, some of the greatest hands we've ever seen. But then he makes a drop where you go, how can you drop that? I mean, a fourth grader would have caught that. But it is. It's because he's trying to make something happen. And it just doesn't seem like they click in Cleveland. I don't, I don't know. I don't know where this goes. And, you know, I, I saw what you wrote and, like, even heard what you said a little yesterday, but on the power rankings. Like, it seems like everything in Cleveland went wrong ever since Odell Beckham Jr. went there. And I don't like to say that. Like, and, and I'm not going to necessarily agree with you, but I, I, kinda, I know what you're saying. You know, they have not been able to click ever since he's been there. And I think it's put more pressure on Baker Mayfield. One, because he feels like, whoa, I got these weapons around me, so I got to start playing good. And then two, as we've talked about before, 
When you have a great receiver and your quarterback, you want to make him happy and you want to make it work so bad. It's like that best friend that you're like, oh, he's so cool. I hope he likes me as much as I like him. And when you throw the ball, I had these feelings when I first threw the Keyshawn and Joey Galloway and and other, you know, uh, uh, um, Tim Brown, where I just, oh, I wanted to throw every ball so perfect so they like me. Oh, please hit him right in the chest. And I think that's all just been an issue there. But when the hell is it going to get fixed? And I think we're getting towards danger zone time here to where I go, okay, maybe it's, I, I don't know, another few weeks I might just go abort mission, abort mission. Let's put Odell Beckham Jr. on the trade block and let's move on. Cleveland, Odell, and let's go. Yeah, I think that they already should come to that conclusion. And remember, there was a report in the offseason that the Vikings and the Browns were talking about an Odell Beckham Jr. trade, and that went away as quickly as it emerged. But I don't believe that that report was inaccurate or made up or fabricated. I think the Browns, considering all their options, considering the reality that the chemistry just isn't there between him and Baker Mayfield, right. and it's not going to be. And let's hear directly from Baker Mayfield on that point, Chris. He was asked yesterday, can there be a tricky balance between wanting to get OBJ the ball and needing to get him the ball. Here's Baker Mayfield's response. I think it has to come naturally. Um, you know, obviously you game plan and you scheme up things to get the balls in your playmaker's hands. Um, but then when it comes to game time, they're going to give us certain looks that might take that away. You know, we had a couple plays uh, for him early on and, and the Ravens did a good job of taking that away. So we had to go through the reads and, and, and get the ball in other guys' hands. Uh, so it's it just... When it comes to game time, yeah, you can practice, 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 and you might have a certain look all week in practice, but then come game time, uh, they might show you a different thing, and you got to react and play and, and just move on. It's got to come naturally. He's absolutely right, and that's the way it should be. Remember the Randy ratio? Yeah. You, you can't force the ball to a certain guy, right. a receiver. It's one thing to say we want to get our running game going and we're committed to our running game. That's easy to do because they can't keep you from handing the ball off to a running back. Yeah. They can keep you from getting the ball into the hands of a receiver. And the more urgency you express as a team to get the ball to a certain guy, the defense knows what's going on. What are they going to do? They're going to design plays defensively to take that away because they know – you don't just stop that play. You create frustration. Yeah. You prevent that chemistry from happening. And I, hey, look, the question I raised, Chris, March of 2019, is Cleveland big enough for both Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr.? And it's possible that those two just never clicked. Yeah. That Mayfield resents this expectation that he's got to get the ball to one certain guy. We got all these weapons. Just let me get it to the guy who's open and not be stressed out about trying to get it to one guy. Yeah, well, I, I know. And I hopefully he's not. And, I, you know, again, I don't look at it as like a personality thing. I don't. I don't think it's like ego, ego, we can't fit together. I, I know. I maybe, think there's stuff going on behind the scenes we don't know about. Well, maybe we'll there find is. Out about I, when it's over. No, you're right. We we might. You're right. I I haven't got that sense in the media or just but what we see, you know, in a in a topical view here, like like we do. Okay, but uh, I, I I I I do certainly recognize there is an issue with the connection. I mean, when when Odell's open, even last year we talked about this. Baker would miss him, you know, and then Baker would and then Odell would be covered and he'd force it to Odell, and then. You know, then it would be two go routes on each side, and the last two connections didn't work with Odell, so it's like Baker was scared, so he just went over to Jarvis Landry, and that was the play. Oh, Odell's wide open; he's gone for a touchdown, and he he it just it's unreal. And then to your point with the offensive thing and two and all that, listen, you you made a lot of good points, and I agree with just about everything you said. 
But at the same time, they haven't been with an offensive guy that really knows how to use a guy like Odell Beckham Jr. anyways. I mean, we know Michael Thomas is getting the ball every week in New Orleans. And what happens? Sean Payton gets him the ball. So between Freddie Kitchens and now a Kevin Stefanski, who has not really shown to be that type of guy or run that type of offense either, you know, I, I don't know if it does fit. I don't know where this goes, but I'm going to have my eye on it um, because I'm starting to feel like you are. You know I love Odell Beckham Jr., uh, but it just doesn't seem like it is working. And if it doesn't start to work soon, I, maybe I, I, I might join in the choir with you and go, okay, Cleveland, just cut your losses, see what you can get for this guy because I think he'll still command a pretty little asset as far as on the trade market and you move on with life. Send him to New England and, and unite him with Cam Newton. He's desperately Ooh, wanted to go to the Patriots. That's what, Give him what he wants. Get what you can for him and move on. That's right, what's Chris? crazy. Yes, I, I agree. And, and you know what's crazy is this year right now, we can look at like four marquee teams that I go, they could use Odell Beckham Jr. Like you just mentioned one of them, Cam and the Patriots, uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, uh, Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. And I had another one, and I blanked out. But let's just go with those three because that's pretty damn good three anyways, all right? <laughs> uh, uh, look, two more quick points before we break. One, Odell Beckham Jr.'s body language suggests he is frustrated. And, and yeah. there, was a moment, there was a moment where a ball was tipped in the air on the drive where he had the face mask foul, which that face mask may be a sign of frustration. Hey, it's about time I get the ball. You yeah. know, we're down 10 nothing, and I don't touch the ball, and now I finally get it on this stupid little screen pass where I can run for one yard. A ball's tipped in the air, and there was kind of a, a little semi-alligator arm. Yeah, a little hesitation by him there. to go yeah. get it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And that, that's that's – you, you're one of the great receivers in the game. You don't expect that little half alligator arm when there's other guys swarming around. Uh, the drop was troubling. Everything was troubling. And here's the other thing, too, Chris. They got this whole array of receivers. Yeah. They paid all the money to Austin Hooper, the tight end they plucked away from Atlanta. They don't need any of those guys. I, you know what it, they do? Should, yeah. All they what they could have. They could have won that game if they had just run the ball and run the ball and run the ball to Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt because the Ravens couldn't stop them. That, that, they stopped themselves when they got away from the running game and decided they're going to throw the ball down the field. And, and Baker Mayfield's missing all these great weapons, and either they're not getting to where they need to be or he's not throwing it accurately. But the drive sputtered when they tried to pass. Yeah. I, I, I was a little surprised with how many times I saw drop back passes and things like that, too. This is one of the reasons. Listen, I'm not a huge fan of the Kevin Stefanski offense. You know that. I made that known when he got hired. I did think there was a, maybe a chance for success because Stefanski's stubbornness and willingness or whatever to just run the football. And I thought, ooh, that could set up for Cleveland because they, they've the last two years have had a very good run blocking offensive line. And you just mentioned they got a two headed monster a running back that's special. So I thought, ooh, if he plays through that, they might be able to just survive in the simple passing schematics of the Stefanski offense. But we're seeing for the second year in a row, and I know this is only game one, but the head coach sees those toys and they just can't help themselves. And they want to throw the ball when they should run it and you know, stay patient. Hey, play with the strength of your team and play through that, and that's going to open up more things. But we'll see where it goes. This is going to be interesting. They're too talented of a team to be getting blown out by Baltimore 38-6. to I don't give a damn new coaches, whatever it is. That team is too good and too talented to be losing that way on Sunday. Well, if they would have stuck with the running game, stick with what's working. See, that's the problem. You spend all that time and effort concocting this convoluted game plan, and then you get to the game, 
and everything changes. Just like Baker Mayfield was saying. You have everything schemed up. You get to the game, it changes. When you get to the game, you got to be ready to pivot to what works. And if the passing game isn't working and the running game is, keep running the ball because by the fourth quarter, think about how Nick Chubb yeah. and Kareem Hunt could have right. worn down the Baltimore Ravens' defense and demoralized them. But no, no, they had to pass. They had to throw. They had to use those toys, those weapons on offense. And that's the problem of having that many great players you get yourself in a spot where you have to keep them all happy because you don't want to have a problem in the locker room. And now you do yeah. because you lost. And I think they need to pivot Thursday night to Chubb and Hunt and Chubb and Hunt. And if they do that, they're going to be more likely to beat the Cincinnati Bengals. All right, break time. Which doesn't belong and why when this Wednesday edition of PFT Live continues right after this? Well, I just feel like that's how my, uh, my running style has kind of morphed over the years. And I just feel like I've gotten better at it, you know, from the time that I've gotten in the league until the time that I'm here now. Mm-hmm. And people <clears throat> people always see the running amount, but at the same time, you know, the, the toll on the runner is not the same as the running back, so to speak. Um, I think quarterbacks uh, all alike has this, you know, invisible rule to be able to get down in the open field rather than finish the run as other positions would like to do so you know either i'm the hammer and not the nail or delivering the blow or at the end of the day i can get down and um you know like they all say there's a part another day yeah here's the thing though jimmy garoppolo thought he was the hammer two years ago and what happened what happened when he decided to stop and deliver a blow at the sideline he tore his acl right See, that's the, the 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 problem is that cam doesn't realize he needs to avoid contact whenever and however he can, whether he's the hammer, the nail, or any other tool in the toolbox. The key is to avoid contact, and I, that's what I was concerned about. I saw him get hit too many times. And, yep. yeah, he wasn't in a compromising position, but there was one where there were like five guys trying to drag him down. You throw that many bodies on a guy, there's a chance something's going to go, Chris. Yeah. So that's what I'm concerned about going forward for Cam Newton. No, I, I think it's a fair concern. There's no doubt about that. I do think he's very aware and since he's so experienced running the football, he'll do his best. But still, that that's, doesn't mean you're going to make it out unscathed and, and be healthy. And especially especially the short yardage runs. Those are the ones that I think are the worrying ones for me. Because, hey, second and ten, oh, I got two yards. There's nothing more there. I go down. But on third and one, you get hit at the line of scrimmage. He's going to go, damn, I got to lower my shoulder and bring it because I'm not going to make it there. And that's the ones that I think are the most concerning to me. But other than that, I think he's smart. And I do think New England uh, is smart, too. And they'll, they'll be wary of it. All right. Time to play. Uh, pivoting off of that a little, which doesn't belong and why. Which doesn't belong and why. Let's start with Cam Newton, Josh Allen, and Kyler Murray. They were the top three quarterbacks in the rushing category for week one, which doesn't belong and why? Well, I, I think I'll go with Cam Newton as far as the one that doesn't belong and why. I mean, he's the old guy that's coming off an injury, and I didn't expect him to be like, you know, a runner in his first game back basically in, you know, a year and a half. I know he played two games early last year, but he was nothing close to 100%. So that just was shocking to me, let alone – we saw little inklings of this. I knew Kyler Murray in Arizona in the same place as always what they were going to do with him. Same with Josh Allen in Buffalo. I didn't know what New England was going to look like and were they going to totally embrace all of the Cam Newton stuff right away in week one, and they did. Uh, I think that's why I'll say I just it, he's 30, he's in the 30s. They're not, 
and I wasn't expecting this much, I guess, right away in week one. To me, the one that doesn't belong is much simpler and easier than that. We talk about the importance of keeping yourself from getting hit if you're a quarterback. Yeah. Kyler Murray, unlike the other two, has that instinct. Yeah. He combines speed, right. agility, and awareness at a level that I've never seen it's pretty for those damn good. three to come together. Right. Because remember Mike Vick. Mike, you got to slide. I won't slide. Mark Sanchez, you got to slide. I can't slide. Right? The, the guy who delivers the blow along the sidelines like a Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, you got the adrenaline. I'm just a competitor. I want to get those. Yeah, can, right. That's Carson Wentz. I'm, you know, when I'm out there on a football field, I'm just trying to get a couple extra yards. No, Kyler Murray knows when to hit the deck. And he's not too proud to hit the deck. He'll hit the deck anywhere. He'll step out of bounds. Even after that play after he ran for third, uh, third and 17, scramble for a first down. He's on the sideline. He could have tried to keep going. No, I'm just going to slow down. I'm going to look around. I'm going to step out of bounds. It's amazing. He is moving at normal speed and everyone else is in slow motion. And he has full mastery of his body in relation to everyone else. And that's what separates him because he can harness his ability to run, and then immediately turn it off and save himself for the next play. Yeah, it, it is special. And, you know, our man Pete Demolitis, you know, who I, you know, Pete Demolitis, he put a great stat in here while you were talking. And I think this is, this is via Danielle Jeremiah of uh, NFL Network, who's awesome, okay? But of the 12 of 13 runs that we, you're talking about on Sunday, he was only tackled one time. All the other times he slid or ran out of bounds, he was tackled by his jersey once. So there, you're you're spot on. Plus, he's like half the size of Josh Allen and Cam Newton. That's why I thought you were going to go with this at first. You're going to be like, well, I'm going to take the the guy that's half the other two. But it, his awareness, his ability is is off the charts. I mean, it, it's fun to watch. So, all right, good good one. Where are we and, going and, next? and it may just be necessity. It's just necessity. Whatever, it's thing. working. When you're not a big right. guy. You can't afford to take a big hit from one of these guys that's twice your size. Yeah. All right, the next is Jimmy Garoppolo, Carson Wentz, Kirk Cousins, all playoff quarterbacks in 2019 who have started 0-1, which doesn't belong and why? Well, I, I, I'm going to look at Carson Wentz to be the guy that doesn't belong and why. Uh, Carson Wentz has more on his plate than the other two. I'm just sorry. The other two have weapons and – an offensive scheme around them. And, you know, I, I listen with, with Kirk Cousins, I don't love the Kubiak scheme, but they got a really good running back, two good receivers. They got, a, you know, pretty good tight end play. There's a lot to like there. Carson Wentz, it's just all on him. It's all on his shoulders. Oh, we're up by 17. We can't run the ball and we can't block on the O-line. So we're just going to keep throwing with you, Carson Wentz. Hang in there. Make plays. Uh, to me, he is asked to do so much more uh, to deliver for his football team as compared to the other two who are, are just part of a bigger scheme and part of a bigger, you know, what, what do I want to say, just working machine. Wentz is the machine, and they're just trying to find ways to make him greater all the time or more ways that you can carry the team. And it's just too much at times. Yeah, I'm going to say Kirk Cousins because – we really didn't get a chance to see what he could do. He scored in the 30s. The yeah. Vikings offense did. But the defense let them down from the get-go, from the opening drive of the game, right down the field. And it was Aaron Rodgers' tour to force. And, you know, at least Garoppolo and Wentz had some semblance of a defense. Wentz had a 17-0 lead. Garoppolo had a 10-0 lead. They at least had a fair chance to try to win the game. Yeah. Cousins, now, yeah, they did have – no, it was actually 7-3 the Vikings led for a little bit. It wasn't a touchdown on that first drive by the Packers. But still, the wheels were off 
before Kirk Cousins even threw more than five passes. And it was too late for him to make a difference by then. So I didn't think he get a, he had a fair chance to try to win the game on Sunday because the defense let them down in a way that Wentz and Garoppolo weren't let down by yeah, their defense. I get that. I get that. You're right. They were in the hole early on. I mean, even when the game was somewhat close before that safety by Jair Alexander, Green Bay was controlling the football game. I mean, they had just messed it up uh, to that point. But you're right. Defense was not good. And we'll see. We didn't get a true look. I agree with you there. Next up, a trio of surprise 1-0 teams, the Jaguars, the Washington football team, and the Arizona Cardinals. Which doesn't belong and why? Well, uh, ooh, this is a tough one here. I guess the football team is the one I'm going to sit here and say they don't belong and why. Just because I didn't know what to expect in their football game as far as I, I kind of knew what Gardner Minshew was. We know what Kyler Murray is and that team. You know, Washington, so many new parts. Dwayne Haskins, his offseason, wasn't anointed the starter till late in August, all those things. What's he going to look like? They're down 17 nothing, overcoming that. You hear about Dwayne Haskins, you know, and the halftime being a vocal leader. Uh, I, I guess I just had the most questions about them or what they were as a football team going into this, and they were the most surprising. I, I didn't expect Jacksonville to win, but I knew what Gardner Minshew was. And I guess when I just look at Washington – I was totally clueless about them, and we saw defenses for real. Dwayne Haskins is growing as a player and getting better, and they've got a decent stable of running backs. Do you go, well, they could be a real pain in the butt for teams, and they're just not going to be blown out on a weekly basis. They're going to hang in there See, and, and annoy teams. We, we, we disagree on all of them so far. I say Arizona because I think Arizona is the best of the three teams. They are that. And the toughest of the divisions. They may be the least likely to make the playoffs because of where they are, and they may be the best of the three teams that we've mentioned. And I'm looking ahead at the Cardinals' schedule. They've got the Washington football team at home this weekend. Then they have the Lions at Carolina at the Jets, culminating in a Monday night game yeah. at Dallas. Uh, they could they be. They could. 5-0 and oh going into that Cowboys game. Yes, they could. You're right. I mean, there's no there's no roster there that you look at that you go, oh, well, they're better than the Cardinals. No, it's, it's you know, pretty even throughout there. This week will be fun. Watching that front four or the five first-rounders of the football team chasing around Kyler Murray, that'll be pretty cool. And it'll be a challenge, certainly. Uh, last week he did it. Look at that schedule, though. Chris. Yeah. Look at that schedule. Ooh. It is win as many games as you can before the turn, and then hold on to your butts on the back end. Yeah, it's insane on the back end. I mean, that really is. That's like murderer's row. There, from week six on, uh, they're gonna they're gonna be the lesser team on the field in just about every game, other than the Dolphins and the Giants. To where I just go, hey, on paper, yeah, I don't think the Cardinals are on the level with some of those other teams we see on the on the schedule. All right, three members of the Jets. The quarterback, uh, Sam Darnold, the head coach, Adam Gase, and running back, Le'Veon Bell, who was placed on injured reserve yesterday. And remember, injured reserve this year, not as drastic as in past years. You can come back after three weeks. Le'Veon Bell's got the hamstring problem. Bell, Gase, Darnold, which doesn't belong and why? I, and Le'Veon Bell, to me, I mean, one, first off, he's hurt and not playing. You know, two, he's the one that I look like, I look at that just the most underwhelming of the group. You know, listen, I know we can question all of them. Like, I get that. But Adam Gase, a lot of his issues were set up by prior people that were there that he had nothing to do with. So, okay, there's that. Sam Darnold, he's a little bit of a part of that conversation too. 
You know, again, lack of offensive weapons. The team hasn't been built well. They've had to reorganize everything here. And then, of course, Le'Veon Bell is part of why the team isn't built well. They've overpaid. He hasn't performed at all. And honestly, he's the out of this group, he's the only headache off the field. I mean, he's he's not like a jerk, but he always seems to stir the pot in some sort of way or his name gets talked about like every other week. And uh, I think that's why he doesn't belong. Well, and I, I look at it this way. You mentioned that Adam Gase is dealing with issues that preceded his tenure. The Le'Veon Bell is one that happened on his watch, but it wasn't his doing yeah, because that's what Mike I mean. McCagney, yeah. the former GM, was determined to go get this guy and overpay for him when Gase quite possibly was saying, don't do it. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. Bell literally doesn't belong. It's time for them to move on from him. I think this hamstring thing is the last nail, and I think he's going to get traded before the Tuesday after week eight. And if he doesn't, he should be. It's going to be best for everyone involved if that's what they do. All right. Time to take a break. And when we return, a time to air grievances. Chris, I got one that I think you're really going to like because it shows that you have rubbed off on me. Ooh, I like so this. You'll find out what that is when PFC Live. You're teasing me. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Unfortunately for me, I could never hear him until yesterday. Uh, so I don't know what he's been up to at the line of scrimmage, but better keep my wife out of it from now on. Yeah, I knew when I saw the quote yesterday in print that it was delivered by John Gruden with kind of that wry smile and the fake tough guy sneer, and he really doesn't care. But uh, no, made for an interesting moment when Derek Carr, the quarterback of the Raiders, decided to use Cindy Gruden's name in an audible. Of all the names you could use, of all the people you could pick, why Cindy Gruden? And Chris, you've been part of that culture of where the audibles come from. First of all, how does an audible happen when the coach doesn't know about it? I right. thought the coach is the one who came up with them. Yeah, well, he did. He's he's playing coy there. He's being funny. I mean, this is this is this is the beauty of John Gruden. And this is why, you know, he can like infuse all these plays into an offense because he finds creative ways for you to remember, right? I mean, that's the way he did it. We would have code words. I think I've told you this before. But yeah, some were inappropriate. 
Some were just funny, but either way, you remembered them. You know, I think I've told you, like, hey, we'd have a bubble screen, and we'd call it J-Lo, right? Because she has, you know, a little bit of a, a curve back there, a little bit of a bubble. You know, we had uh, our stretch play. We called it 96 and 97 Seattle. You know, we might say Kurt Cobain. Remember him from Nirvana, the Seattle group, all that? You know, we might say Matt Hasselback. We had all kinds of crazy things. I want to see the exact play. I'll be able to tell you what it is. But, yes, this is part of Gruden's magic, and he uses a lot of coded words at the line of scrimmage for everybody to remember and run plays. So kind of cool. And Cindy's cool. She could take it. Uh, and, of course, she could take it if she's married to John Gruden. <laughs> so it seems on the surface like a grievance, a grievance from John Gruden, but it's really not. He's just having a little bit of fun. So we're going to have a little fun with our grievances. Chris, I'm going first because – I'm not going to hold this one in the event we run out of time. Yeah, cool. Watching the Browns-Ravens game last night, I thought of you on one specific play. It's it's the the failure in whiteboard play design. Oh, here and we go. We, we, we've, talked, we've talked about it in the past as it relates to the bright idea that offensive coordinators have to put the circle that is a tight end blocking a defensive end and we know how that plays out when it's time for the circle and the X to hit right (laughs) the Browns came up with a similar gaffe in their design of a fake punt and I don't know if you saw the fake punt play out in real time but the way it was drawn up it was going to work right the circle was Andrew Sandejo who isn't a blocker by trade. He's a safety. Yes. The X was linebacker LJ Fort, who is a guy who sheds blocks for a living. Right. And who is 20 pounds heavier than Andrew Sandejo. Right. And the fake punt would have worked if the circle had neutralized the X. The problem (laughs) is the circle approached the X, and the X threw the circle onto his ass and then tackled the punter and ripped the ball out in the process. So, again... What it looks like on the whiteboard and what's going to happen when it's time to go out and put one guy against another when there may be a disparity in one guy's ability to block and the other guy's ability to tackle, that's when your bright ideas are going to fall apart. No doubt about it. I mean, you, we, we laugh about this every week, right? Oh, yeah, hey, uh, there's, you know, there's the pass-catching tight end blocking the best pass rusher in football. It was good. Why do they keep doing it? I well, don't why know. Why do they keep doing it? It's um, you don't see it in New England. That's what I'll tell you once again. <laughs> New England <laughs> finds a way to get their linemen on linemen every time. It drives me crazy. But – what the hell happened to you? What? Who are you? Have you been like smoking my daddy's cigars? What the hell's going on with you, Johnny <laughs> Film you Session? About? Johnny Film hey, well, Session breaking it down. You're you're no, the new it, it's, you're but, the new Ron no, Jaworski. No. <laughs> now look, all you need is time. All right, that's and right. that's one thing I've learned this year. Since I'm staying home for the foreseeable future on Sundays, I've picked up 14 hours of travel time, and it's really not the easiest thing to do to watch back games on the weekend yeah, yeah. or on Monday when you're right. exhausted. Right. So I've had time to watch multiple games and I intend to watch multiple more. And it gives you if you just can. You know, that's that's what I don't like about Sundays. Yeah. There's too much going on. You can't focus. It drives me crazy. I want to focus on one thing. Right. Like my grievance. And now you get to focus on yours. Yeah. Well, yeah, you get to you get to focus on a game. You get to really feel how the game played out and you'll have a better understanding of the game. I I, I totally get that. And I feel cheated as a human being. Like if you're going to watch film and all that, I need to start reading CBA agreements and doing lawyer crap. I got to start up in my game. All right, my grievance is going to be with two running quarterbacks from this past weekend that um, you know that I love both of them. My boy Blue, Josh Allen in Buffalo, and Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. I mean, 
these are two of the most talented quarterbacks in football. But my issue is here they are in games where they were blowing the other team out in the fourth quarter. And both of them were still being asked by their team on design quarterback runs, let alone I would question maybe why they were even in the game. And then both of them, I would say, within those runs, were being too reckless and careless themselves. And I'm just saying this, it's a grievance because I like watching you play Lamar and Josh Allen, and I like Baltimore and Buffalo. Like, what the hell are we doing? Protect themselves from themselves. Players are meatheads. They're football players. They can't protect themselves, as Mike talks about all the time. And they get caught up in the emotions, especially young players. And Lamar and Josh are still Except for young. Kyler Murray. Yeah, well, yeah, he's the only one we've seen, really. They're still young. But I just had an issue with them and what they were being asked to do that late in the game with the scenario of the game and everything about it. I just thought it was very risky on both teams' parts. When I talked to John Harbaugh after the Ravens win, I asked him about the big hit that he took that Lamar Jackson took. And he said, we actually talked a drive earlier about taking him out. And, uh, you know, it's a tough balance. He wants to play. Yeah. And basically Harbaugh's bottom line is I hope to have that problem every week yeah, where I'm right. trying to decide when to remove my starting quarterback from a game that is easily in hand. All right. One hour in hand of Wednesday's PFT live. I've got a couple other grievances, but we'll put a pin in them until next yeah. week. We will have another hour of PFT Live still to come, starting off with whether or not it's already time to panic for some of the teams that lost in week one. We'll be right back. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.